Today's episode of the Vocal Minority Report is brought to you by LootCrate.com. Loot Crate is a monthly mystery crate service that delivers the best in geek plus gaming gear from collectibles, apparel, tech gadgets, art, and other gear. It's kind of like Comic-Con in a box, right? And for listeners of the Vocal Minority Report, they've got a special offer where you can get 10% off any new subscription. You've got to go to trylootcrate.com slash vocalminority and enter the code BRIDGE10 to save you 10% on any new subscription. Previously on the Vocal Minority. Are you part of the silent majority? Or are you part of the vocal minority? Let's go. Attention, please, attention, please. If America can be saved, and I don't know if it's too late, but it'll be through a radio show. Like this, this new crime. This shit here feels like a whole entire world collapse. Hey, what's good? It's your boy MC. Welcome to episode 52 of the Vocal Minority Report. We've got a great show for you today. As always, thanks for downloading. You could have downloaded any podcast in the world, but you're still here with us. We appreciate that. I know it's been a while, but we're back on track. Friday is going to be the release date for guest interviews. Really appreciate you guys hanging around. We're back in business. Coming back with the news here soon as well. Make sure you go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Do that first. Leave a rating and review second. Tell everyone you know to do that. Apple Podcasts, best way, every show, the biggest ones, the smallest ones. It helps people find the show and helps us move up in the rankings. So really appreciate everyone doing that. Go to Apple Podcasts, search for The Vocal Minority Report, leave a rating and review, subscribe to the show. You can find the show on everywhere you get your podcast, Stitcher, Google Play. You guys know the drill. Check out our website, thevocalminorityreport.com. Take our survey. You can donate to the show and so much more there. Our press kit, anybody wants to sponsor the show, let me know. Email the show at vocalreport at gmail.com. Let's talk about today's episode. What we have is a documentarian on to talk about a film called The Skyjacker's Tale. First, I mean, did you guys know that there were successful hijackings back in the 70s and 80s? Like, I had no idea. And the fact that a brother did one, I mean, I probably don't need to say much more than that. You should have your appetites wet and want to hear this interview. So check out the director and myself talking about this movie. The film opens in New York on Friday, June 30th at the Village East with the national release to follow, including Los Angeles on July 14th at Lamley's Monica Film Center. I think that's how you pronounce it. I haven't been in LA in a while. So New York today, June 30th, Friday at the Village East and in Los Angeles on July 14th at Lamley's Monica Film Center. But for now, Enjoy us talking about it. There's so many twists and turns in this very complicated story. More than just a hijacking, if you can believe that. We'll talk to you after the episode. Make sure you go to our website. Go to The Vocal Minority Report. Take our new survey. Visit our sponsors. Enjoy the show. The 
The Skyjacker's Tale. It's a true crime documentary, and it's a film that I really enjoyed. It was also a film that was official selection of the Toronto International Film Festival. It's The Skyjacker's Tale. Really happy to have one, the director of that film. Let's welcome Jamie Kastner to the show. How's it going, Jamie? Before we get into the reason we're talking today about the film a little more, I wanted to um, ask you about one of your earlier films, if that's okay. I'll, I'll spend just a, sure. a, a little bit of time on that because I was looking through your filmography and I saw a, a film entitled Django Mania, and I got real excited. <laughs> and oh yeah, and, and um, you know, I, I've since read an O5 article about that dog, and I, I now know the story. So. I'm way more intrigued by the actual story in that film, but initially when I saw that, I only, I only thought of you know, of course, the uh, the Tarantino film or the or the old time <laughs> film. So, so, so I was I was wondering, you know, what take you were you had on it. But so when I read that article, though, it, it's one that I want to check out now because it seems like it was kind of another very interesting, you know, kind of deep character studies that evolved for you. I don't know if you would agree with that or not, but kind of like what I saw, you know, in the Skyjackers tale. No, well, and you don't have to. Yeah, it's uh, I do remember. It uh, uh, so so. I mean, Django Mania was was a film that that. I mean, so Skyjacker's Tale in in some ways is completely different from from all the other uh, uh, work I've done because it's it's you know a thriller built around pretty remarkable access, I think, to one of the most wanted uh, American fugitives in Cuba. Who like got there by because it's such a, a nail biter of a story got there by successfully hijacking a, a full American Airlines plane and all this a dozen years after being convicted uh, uh, of along with four other people of murdering eight people on a golf course owned by the Rockefellers right. in St. Croix in the U.S. Uh, Virgin Islands. So that story is is I I've done a, a number of other documentaries all of which I would consider political. But they're usually in a completely different vein. Some are, some have been about arts, some have been about cultural or identity things. I've done a film about the recession. And indeed, I made this film, Django Mania, which was a look at the, uh, what at the time was, uh, uh, the, the, uh, a newfound resurgence of interest in, in, uh, a sort of, at that point, 60 years dead, um, gypsy jazz guitarist from, from Belgium named Django Reinhardt, uh, who had, as it turned out, uh, become the most popular jazz musician. He was, he was an incredible legendary guitar player, in spite of the fact that he had lost two of his fingers in a caravan fire in his, in his caravan. Oh, wow. Um, and he rose to become the most, the most, uh, popular jazz musician in Europe, even under the Nazis. While the Nazis are, are, you know, wiping out gypsies along with, with, uh, all the other undesirables, uh, Django was, was, uh, uh, being, uh, flown around performing for, for, you know, he, he was the toast of Nazi occupied Paris and, and, uh, beloved by, by the, the high command who were kind of drinking in the other, the other pleasures of, of the occupied city. So, and, and that film was also about what all this newfound enthusiasm of, of jazz pop all around the world from, you know, Hawaii to Tokyo, where I had people taping up their fingers to, to emulate Django's <laughs> Okay. Um, what all that, that kind of adulation meant to 
to gypsies today. In other words, along with this this uh, uh, celebration of this long dead hero, did that mean that people liked actual living gypsies any more than they appeared to? And uh, you can probably guess from my tone where I where the film landed on that point. <laughs> right, exactly. The kind of complex question of his own history. In other words, at least raising the uncomfortable question of of how did he become so popular with the Nazis as a gypsy? So, uh, um, you know, yes, these kind of thorny, interesting cultural issues about about the, the nature of heroes and unlikely heroes and anti-heroes, I think in, in a very roundabout way, are you, you very astutely have identified all do come into play even in, in a, as different a film as The Skyjacker's Tale, where we have this fascinating but but complex and by no means, uh, you know, he's certainly an anti-hero, uh, um, and and this this amazing this amazing story of how he wound up uh, gaining notoriety and being among that that uh, uh, exclusive and dubious club of fugitives uh, whose return President Trump is uh, once again demanding. Right. You see, and and that's one of those things. It's just got so many. There's so much to it, the, the story. I, I was thinking that this has everything. You know, it's got patriarchy, racism, murder, police misconduct, Black Panthers, a successful hijacking. It's like you got all my ag- algorithms, and uh, and you made a film for me. You, 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 <laughs> well, don't mention it. I, I, I hadn't met yet at that point. This one's for you. Right, well, I appreciate that. But you know, it's one of those things where it's it's really such a a compelling story, and and you've you've told kind of what it's about there too that. It almost seems like it could, be, could have been a feature film because the story is so compelling. But I, I think the kind of depth and complexity that, you know, you captured, um, maybe is more so suited for documentaries, which might be why you, obviously you're, you're a documentarian. So I, I wonder how you would, would agree with that. And, and I guess, if, you know, if you can, you've already told us a, about the, um, film, just about well, I, that. I could tell, you know, I was just initially, I was, I was attracted by just the prospect of, of, Access to such a notorious figure. No, I guess we should talk, and we should talk about him. I'm sorry to cut you off there because, yes, because he's super notorious. And we're speaking of Ishmael Muslim Ali, who I had written anti-hero next to him. So I'm glad to hear you use that term. I guess, and you'll get into who he is and 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 why he's so notorious. But he's certainly someone I had not heard of until uh, having seen the film, though. Yeah, no, it, it was. Uh, um you know, I came to it. I came to it completely uh, uh, at random uh, through my car mechanic, of all things. <laughs> okay. Uh, who said, "Oh, you make documentaries. I've got a buddy who goes down to Cuba and met this hijacker in a bar, and might be interested in telling his story." And you know, I then, I then, we Googled him right there in the mechanic's shop, and and the kind of you know shards of of, of his story came up in the very limited way in which it had been covered up to that point, you know, the hijacking and and these this bizarre murder from 40 years ago of these people on a golf course. And, you know, I, with, with the help of this mechanic's friend, I was I was sort of on my way across Cuba with in, in short order, uh, going to meet, I believe, this this uh, um, possible mass murderer, or I, I assumed he was, right. what had been written about him at that time. And incidentally, he was known at, at, at the time as, as uh, Ishmael Labit. He, he changed his name in, in uh, prison when he uh, 
when he converted. And and although actually not that my timing may be wrong, he may have been a Muslim before that. But in any case, um, <clears throat> he changed his name for sure while he was while he was um, in jail. Okay. In any case, so I'm, I I go and and you know meet this guy in this in this very cloak and dagger sequence of events, which again was quite different from my my last films. Uh, uh, you know, the one I made directly before this was called The Secret Disco Revolution. So <laughs> not to say that meeting Gloria Gaynor and the village people didn't have uh, uh, its, its, its perils. This was, uh, <laughs> this was something something new. Well, um, it looks like, though, he, he did take you to a, a discotheque, though, and, and, you know, so you... you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, if I could only fit Hitler into this movie, too, I would have a few continuous themes that were <laughs> in every single movie, in spite of their differences. Right. Remarkable tale, which was a completely fresh twist on on history. Um, 
I, I felt kind of uh, it behooved me from a journalistic point of view to find the other players involved, to find other other people who might have contrary accounts and give them give them a fair shake, as one does as as a you know as a responsible jur- journalist or let's say who's not who's not just doing a one sided uh, uh, broadside about something. I felt that this would be a kind of thriller courtroom drama type structure that would work best if you if you heard heard best from you know heard heard the evidence from from all sides and let the audience decide. And that that's sort of how uh, what guided me forward in the in the research and making of the film. And you know then you use the, the whatever tools are open to you. Yeah, the documentary does allow for um, for. Uh, I mean, it's it's a wonderful form. I, I I came I came to it kind of by accident. I had come from a combination of journalism and theater, and when I made my first film, I just realized what a what a, a, a an open form it is creatively. You can you can do all sorts of stuff, and and it does still have that that room for 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 serious thought. I mean, drama dramas, they, all these forms have their have their Plus the minuses, and in fact, I am also working on a fictional adaptation of this story because it is okay, so great. dramatic and interesting. But anyway, that was that gives you a sense of how I kind of D- definitely got about it and, and got into it. Definitely, definitely, because it, it, it's one of those things where talking about um, our, the anti-hero specifically, Ishmael Ali, because I, I just wonder, you know, because I look at him, you know, he appears to be living kind of like like a pimp down in Cuba, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, or as well as an, an advanced middle-aged alleged terrorist, you know, murderer could be, he's kind of got that kind of, you know, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but that kind of Tony Soprano, kind of Vic Mackey, Walter White appeal where, you know, the, you know, you know, you know, but he's a real person, obviously. So, you know, and, yeah. and, 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 but I believe that you're, kind of, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say that I think your storytelling kind of, Help do that too, because as, as you as you mentioned, though the the story that perhaps you ended up with, and I'm, I'll kind of speak for you or summarize it, that may not be the story you necessarily set out to tell when you went on this fact finding mission. You know, after after you know this this amazing encounter, and, and so, but yeah, I'm just curious. So you know, for when you're documenting someone like him, especially this kind of being your first time with that kind of subject, did you see those kind of parallels? You know, those are fictional characters again, but but that can't, that same kind of. Um, uh, maybe duplicity is a right word for him since he, you know, is a self-admitted criminal and whatever, but he's also a gentleman. I, I don't know what the right word is there. What do you think about that? Oh, I, I think that, no, I think that's all, all reasonable. I mean, listen, I, I feel that the job of a, the first job of, of a film is to be entertaining. And I think insofar as there's a political message in it, either overtly or covertly, no one will pay attention <clears throat> if it's boring. So I, I do set out to make entertaining uh, uh, work first and foremost, and I knew that you know with a documentary you do a kind of casting as, as you do in, in any movie, except you're dealing with real people, and and I think that unlike reality TV where they have the luxury of manipulating and goosing and producing the hell out of people, if you want a documentary to feel real at all, you have to find better characters that are going to sustain with you know unadorned. And I, I knew that when when I met this guy, for all the kind of reasons you've you've outlined, he does feel like a, a fascinating fictional villain. I mean, or, or anti-hero, or or one or the other. Right. And and to me, that that uh, dubiousness about him made him more interesting 
for the kind of film that I that I'm interested in doing. I mean, I while I, there is much great activist filmmaking going on of, of people exposing wrongs and revealing victims and victimizations and so on. It's not the kind of film I make, and I don't think it's my strength. I'm not drawn to that kind of material. I was drawn to him immediately because he's so complex and intriguing and not obvious. Uh, um, and and I, he's, you know, he's funny. He's extremely charismatic. He's sexy. He's scary. You know, you're, but you're intrigued. You're right. definitely, you kind of want to, you want to find out, you're intrigued to find out more about, about what he's about. So I had a sense that he would be uh, a star, you know, a strong enough character to, to anchor, to anchor a documentary. Definitely. And, and, this, and then as he's able to elicit that sympathy, uh, well, a little bit as well, at least for me, because, you know, because you're able, again, in your storytelling, when you, when you, when you talk about the, the Virgin Islands and the, the oil boom and, and then, you know, how the island kind of got to the condition it was in, in, in 72 or whatever. And then, and then the, the story of the trial and, and, and I guess the, the alleged things that happened, but that, that aren't so alleged, but I don't want to give, I don't want to give away, you know, too much of the film, but.
get to know him as a person and and get to know the incredible story that that forced him into a corner that has landed him there. Exactly. And so do you think about the film's possible impact on him, on his extradition? Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, he, he was motivated to do the film, and, and, and I, this is my hope, too, that it will raise awareness about the, the injustice of that, in that case, in that trial, in that arrest, in that interrogation uh, that landed them all in jail in the beginning, and hopefully do something to help his co-defendants who are rotting away right. 45 years on in, in terrible American prisons. And uh, so that, that is certainly uh, a hope he and, I, he and I share. In terms of what the film might do for, for his position vis-a-vis extradition, uh, I mean, he chose to, to uh, share his story in right. a way put put himself in the spotlight, motivated by, by that desire to help the co-defendants, I think. But I think there is some risk involved. I mean, the film just got a very nice review in the in the um, Village Voice, in which the reporter says, I hope Donald Trump doesn't find out about this guy. I read that, actually, yes. Right. It's a good, it's a good write-up. But yes, exactly. Yeah. From, from a craft publicity point of view, I'm torn. On one hand, I'd love for Donald Trump to find out about him. On the other hand, it's true. Look out, Ali, if he does. Uh, um, hey, well, if, if Donald Trump's got time to attack uh, Morning Joe and, and Mika, then he certainly has time. To, <laughs> to, I don't know if you're aware of that that the, the, his his morning well, tweets, but it's, it's that personal <laughs> touch that he brings to things that I, I think makes him so beloved by so many. Exactly, exactly. But you, you, you know, uh, there's there's a couple things that you highlighted in this this film that I um I. I I don't know how intentional they were, but I assume they were were very intentional. But you know, for instance, like you know, the the courts, you know, being recruiting stations during Vietnam, you, you know, th- that's something that I, I think I've seen dramatized before. And I guess if I I think back long enough, I've certainly seen or read that. But it was interesting to to kind of see you you delve into that a little bit. Now, you know, he he mentioned that, and then obviously, you know. You, you you took it from there um, through, through the storytelling, but I, I thought that was um, very interesting. And then you know, just p- kind of plotting the course from there to perhaps embracing communism, but then domestically, you know, it's it's the in socialism of the Black Panther Party, and then kind of going back to the island. So I, I wonder how much of that history as a as a Canadian or just as a as a person, I, were you aware of that? And then um, and then maybe your your kind of thoughts on that kind of the, the kind of court to to the uh, jungle kind of thing that happened there. Well, I mean, I'm I'm a, consider myself a, a, a reasonably, you know, well educated person with a, with an interest in in history and and politics. I, I was certainly, you know, had an awareness of, of the the Panthers and and you know different Black Power movements, and was interested in in social. Have been interested in social and protest social struggles and protests. Of that eras and, and other eras, but yes, I, I <clears throat> and you know, listen. This story of of, uh, of poor people and criminals being used as, as uh, cannon fodder is unfortunately nothing nothing new. Right. Yet, yet, nevertheless, it was uh, uh, an interesting. It is still in so many ways. He touched on so much uh, um, recent and not recent history, which is so resonant with aspect of getting to know him and being able to tell this story uh, um, to to 
be to hear it from the horse's mouth, you know, in, in that regard. Not all. I mean, uh, uh, the hijacking alone would have been would have been fascinating. But but then you 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 learn the stories that that led him there, and they they intersect with so many interesting moments moments in history. Yes, that the wild story of of you know him him being charged as a teenager with with uh, uh, joyriding and being offered as as uh, you know go to jail or, or go to numb. Yeah, you've heard that, but, but shit, when you hear someone actually telling you that it happened to him, <laughs> right. still it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty shocking. And you, and to, to chart the path of his radicalization from that, I think is, is, yeah, it's just one of the, this is an incredibly rich story, you know, that sounds my lap. Well, it's funny because maybe the most compelling thing is the whole hijacking, but that almost, it's, it, it, you know, it kind of fall, it doesn't fall by the wayside, but you know, it, it's, it's like, what do you pick as the most interesting part of this? You know, and I, I guess that's the beauty of it. Um, it was an interesting part of the, thank you. It was, it was an interesting part of the process that indeed it seemed like such a bunch of dramatic goodies, you know, if you will, as a storyteller. And, and as I was gathering the material, I, I didn't, you know, this is part of what you figure out in the, in the editing process, you know, six months in editing. Uh, I was a great editor. You, you have to decide what, what to give, what kind of weight to. And, and I went through exactly the same process that you, that you, that you just described doing. In other words, I thought that the hijacking was, was the most interesting thing, but in a way it's, it's, uh, it's, it's thrilling and it's like action movie stuff. But it's it's just the beginning of a story that that runs uh, uh, much deeper, and of course the access I think you know the access to to one of these notorious fugitives in Cuba and seeing how he lived and seeing him as a person and and all of this stuff. I mean, it's I got lucky with the material. You know, it's very very uh, rich and and now extremely timely. Timely from 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 Cuba relations to Trump to criminal Black justice. Yeah, right, right. Black Lives Matter. Is, I mean, police misconduct. I mean, the the criminal. I mean, the the courtroom scenes. I mean, you know, it, it, it's so history repeating itself. You know, forty five, almost fifty years later, and, and said to have those people um, still be available to speak on, and said to have the the, the true subject there. Uh, is he a few? I guess is he a fugitive? I don't know. Would you? Is he? Is he technically? Well, he's a fugitive. Okay. 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 Well, yeah, then. Okay. So, so to have this, you know, access he to this fugitive. Top five uh, most wanted uh, American fugitives in Cuba out of an estimated list of about seventy to eighty people who were granted asylum there, uh, uh, political asylum there. I mean, lots of lots of nutters hijacked planes there over the decades. I mean, lots during that the heyday of what's called the the golden age of skyjacking. It's a very good uh, uh, book by Brendan Kerner written about this called The Skies Belong to Us. Mm. And during the statistic was in the, uh, in the 70s, over a four-year period in the heyday, one plane a week over four years was hijacked, and the vast majority of them went to Cuba. It was almost like if a bus was slow, that's what you do. Uh, uh so they would they would hijack these planes, but you know it was it was everyone from Black Panthers to just complete completely insane people, and and the Cubans did not by any means much as they they enjoyed thumbing their nose at, at the Americans and hanging on to their aircraft for a while and so on. They did not grant uh, the the vast majority of these people uh, uh, asylum. You know 
this is part of what was remarkable about this story. This guy, this guy was recognized in part, uh, Asada Shakur, who is fugitive number one, uh, uh, who, who Ali knows and who, uh, vouched for his, his being granted asylum there was, was part of that. But, um, yeah, he's definitely a fugitive. <laughs> okay, right, yeah, okay, well, and, and, and as I asked that, I, I uh, I felt foolish, but I, I'm, I'm glad oh. I did because it, it, your explanation though was, was perfect. So I've been living with him for four years or whatever. I don't expect anyone else to. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's certainly such, it's such a fascinating story. You know, we mentioned being out in Cuba. So what is, what is Cuba like? I, you know, I mean, obviously when I, you know, my impression is, um, you know, old cars from the fifties and stuff like that. And I saw that and it looked like they got really nice paint jobs on those old cars, but, um, <laughs> Right. Yeah. No. I, I I like the film, but not that much. Let's. We're getting along so well. Exactly. Exactly. Especially considering that, and he mentions a few times in the film, you know, about his his, his brother's co-defendant still being down. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure that. Uh, and, and and I and because you know, and I don't want to give too give too much away, but you you've got these 
Cause, cause they, uh, they all confessed, right? So we, we got this trial, but there were confessions that led to the, this, this kind of ultimate. I mean, you, you get into all that in the, in the film there, but, um, but essentially. They were convicted based on confessions that were obtained in a very dubious manner. Correct. Right. Say, say right. 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 Okay. Yes. And, and we, and we get into that. And I was very pleasantly surprised to be able to get, uh, uh, certain law enforcement people to speak about this on the record in a way they never have before. And, and <laughs> yeah, that is, is ought to be new evidence that, that, uh, um, you know, should force a, a reexamination of, of that case, in my opinion. You know, I hadn't thought about that last thing you just said, that new evidence that should, but yeah, exactly. I mean, that, are you, were you the one asking the question? Uh, forgive me, are you, yeah, were yeah. you? Okay. Okay. So uh, I said I asked. So you were the one interviewing. So, so it's not always the way in a documentary. Yes. Yes, I did the interview. In in that moment, obviously, I'm I'm thinking like, oh shit, what did he just say? And then uh, you you maintain your composure and 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 clarify. And what are you feeling in that moment? Um, Oh well, I guess what we're talking about is is a moment where where a cop says makes a, a fairly shocking revelation about what went on. Uh, 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 or admission of, of, of what went on 40 years ago. And, uh, you know, this, that, that, the officer in question, uh, uh, was actually in, in, um, Puerto Rico and way, way up in the hills. And, and my cameraman and I kind of, <clears throat> as soon as we, we found him and found he was willing to talk, the researcher found him. We got on the plane the next day and went down there and he, um, he met us, it was like torrential rain, and he met, we drove halfway across the island, he met us like in a Kmart parking lot, and we followed him up into the hills where he lived. And, and then there we were, uh, uh, having this conversation, and, and it was sort of the light was fading, kind of, kind of poetically enough, or appropriately in one of those happy accidents of, of art direction that, that sometimes happen in a documentary. Where, where the, the, you know, the atmosphere is mirror, mirroring the content. As, as, you know, in, in interview terms, I kind of am, am circling this guy to try to get him to admit on camera to, to what went down 40 years ago. Right. And at first he's resisting, he's resisting, and he's, it, it's like a kind of a bout. And this guy is a big, tough, I mean, I don't care if he's 70, he's, he's, you know, his, Tougher, his little finger is tougher than I'll ever be. You know? He looks, t- and he looks tough too. I mean, he he looks like an imposing, you know. Um, he he looks the part. He looks the part. Oh, they, I mean, again, from a kind of quote unquote casting point of view, what what a what a what a bunch of stars. You <laughs> right. They were all kind of like I, I mentally casting the movie at, at every turn. Speaking of, speaking of casting too, like the prosecutor, for instance. The, the, he he he's perfect. I mean, every, everyone naturally is just perfect for for their for their perceived roles. Great characters. I well, thank you. Yes. I agree. And and so he, uh, you know, I was I was I was definitely nervous. I mean, there it's just me and my my you know and my Canadian cameraman, which is about as as uh, non threatening as it sounds. <laughs> uh, uh, way up in the, in in the wilds of uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, um, and what if this, you know, here's a guy <laughs> who's done God knows how, what in the course of his career. And, and, uh, if he, and, and he's, he's having a very, a kind of 
emotional. You see him struggling with himself in in that scene. You see him struggling. Is he going to say it? Is he going to come clean about it? Is he is and and he's he's kind of at war with himself. I guess it represents a betrayal of of the person he used to be, a betrayal of his former uh, uh, you know brothers on the force, and and you know because it, it, it's incriminating them too. But you know it's, it's a big deal what what he did. And and but in the moment it was it was actually quite scary, and yet something some professional something in spite of my you know whatever uh, uh, natural uh, Canadianness let's call it. <laughs> and, and, you well, know, well, you said it, not me. Not to get that in, a, <laughs> in a in a conflict, there I am. I haven't come all this way to to you know what? I'm gonna bloody well do what I can to get the answer out of him. And, and I pushed him and pushed him and pushed him and pushed him and, and finally he, he, uh, he gave it to me. And, and I, and I lived to, to tell the tale, which was a nice bonus. And, and captured on film. So that's pretty, it's, it's pretty, kudos to you and your cameraman, your and Canadian cameraman. Thank you. Yeah. No, and, it was, it was pretty wild. And would you agree that it, it kind of got good to him when he was, when he started telling you, like, you know, it, it, the, there was reluctancy and then, I, I mean, you were there. It, it, to me, it kind of like it, it kind of got good to him at the end, like when he when he was when he was admitting it. And I don't mean to chuckle at it, but it's just a matter of you know, I don't know if you perceive that or not. You know, in your subsequent viewing of it, or even sitting there, like he, he kind of um, embraced it, it a bit. Do you mean? Yeah, he he wanted to he wanted to admit to it. he wanted to get it off his chest. He's a guy. He's a guy who who I mean, my personal opinion. Yeah, he, he's a guy. Well, he, he said himself, you know, in our conversation in general, not every, not, not, you know, every, it's edited, not inaccurately, obviously, it's a, it's a, uh, especially with that, you're, you're absolutely circumspect about, about presenting it accurately, but I'm just saying the, the, uh, in our larger discussion, you know, he explained how, how he had, he's changed a lot in, in that time and how, he, he's had kind of, you know, a come to Jesus moment, kind of figuratively and literally, and also considers himself a socialist now, which his former self, you know, a uh, 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 strong, a thug cop, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, would have been appalled at, at, uh, um, at the things he said he found himself saying now. So, you know, he's, he's, uh, He's an interesting, an interesting guy. Absolutely, an interesting, uh, uh, thoughtful, thoughtful person who was, you know, yeah, yeah. In, in, as we feel in the film, kind of in a live struggle with his former, former self. And yes, yes, there is an element of relief when he he finally gets it uh, off his chest. I'm being, I'm being given the, the time signal. Uh, beautiful. Uh, we can wrap it there. So yeah. Last thing I have for you, I guess, just to identify yourself and say that you're a part of the vocal minority. Okay. Uh, this is Jamie Kastner, the uh, director of The Skyjacker's Tale, a new documentary thriller, and I'm part of the vocal minority. Beautiful. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. The film it opens in New York tomorrow, Friday, June 30th at the Village East, and then uh, in Los Angeles, July 14th. And we'll put that information out, but no, that's all I got for you. I really appreciate it. All right, have a thank good you day. For doing that. All right, thank you. We'll be in touch. Okay. Bye bye. Take care. Okay. Bye. Hey, welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I really enjoyed that conversation with Jamie. Very candid, very interesting story, and the way his mind works. I think I kind of put that together. But when you see the Skyjackers tale, you'll get what we're talking about. And don't worry, we didn't give it away. No spoilers. Everything we discussed on this is much more flushed out within that 
documentary. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's true crime. It's a thriller. It's police misconduct. Like I said, so many things that I think that you guys will really enjoy. So make sure you check that out. If, if you're in New York, it's happening today at the Village East. It's in Los Angeles on the 14th of July at Lamley's Monica Film Center. Make sure you visit our sponsors. Sign up at www.trylucrate.com slash vocal minority and the code BRIDGE10 for your 10% savings. For less than $20 a month, you get six to eight items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, and unique one-of-a-kind items. www.trylucrate.com slash vocal minority and the code BRIDGE10 for your 10% savings. Go to Apple Podcasts, search for The Vocal Minority Report, leave a rating and review, subscribe to the show. Well, at your next episode... Next week, all power to the people. Peace. This has been a Vocal Neighbors production.